in Lehi's tree of life dream, there are a lot of people trying to make their way to the tree. Two groups jump out at us, however. The first group we'll call the clingers. These are the ones that cling tightly to that iron rod. And yet, once they get to the tree, they become ashamed and they fall away into hidden paths and are lost. The other group we'll call the holders. They are holding fast to the iron rod and make it and are never lost. What makes the difference between the clingers and the holders? And does Nephi give us a particular recipe or a pattern for how to be able to delve into and understand the deeper mysteries, those secrets and more uncovered in today's class? Welcome to the Hidden Treasures podcast, where we explore the rich doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Drawing on both inspired teachings and the latest research, we examine closely the revealed scriptures of the Restoration. Of course, opinions expressed here do not constitute official pronouncements of the church or its leaders. These classes are recorded live and taught by Kevin Heakley. Thank you for taking a moment to subscribe and leave us a comment. And now, on to today's class. There we go. All right. And welcome to uh, today's class. I'm going to, uh, this can change it just a little bit um, because we're kind of at that point where there's so much meaty things here that I wanted to be able to have you track through uh, on the on the scriptures closely so we're gonna pop over to uh, my app so that we can actually you can follow I know it's a little smaller I'm uh, still trying to figure out how to get the camera back farther uh, so if you need to move a little closer I, I would certainly understand that um, but I want to begin here um, today, and uh, as we're looking at First Nephi eight, we're starting in First Nephi eight, and remember that we said that uh, Lehi is going to be able to see what he sees, and then he invites Nephi and Sarai and Sam and. And in 17, it says, It came to pass I was desirous that Laman and Lemuel should come and partake of the fruit also. Um, and they say no, <laughs> that they would not come in 18. So then we get to verse 19. And he says, In 19, I beheld a rod of iron. Now, let me stop for just a second on this. Can you imagine if, if uh, Lehi had been um, in his dream, he's looking at this thing, and he looks up near the tree, and he sees a gold angel Moroni there. We would look at it, and in, in our interpretation of, hey, there's a gold angel Moroni sitting there, we would say what? 
temple. There's a temple, right? Because automatically in our symbolism as Latter-day Saints, we see a gold angel Moroni. If you're, in another, if you're in another city and you see a gold angel Moroni above the trees, you probably go, oh, it's the temple, let's go look at it. And you go over and look at it. Because that gold angel with a trumpet means something to you. For Lehi to see things, yeah. When I was in South Africa, yeah. they, uh, there were people came uh, to go through the temple, and uh, they didn't speak the English or the whatever. No, it was in Fiji. They didn't speak the right language, and so when. Uh, when they got downtown, they got ready to go back to the to where the group was gathered. They took a taxi, but none of them could decide. And finally, the, the one gal went doo, doo, doo. And, and they and they knew. And the taxi said, "Oh, I can, okay, I can take you." I can take you to the toot to toot. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, we were kind of in, in in Halifax when we were when we went to the the temple there. But had an LDS group there. As we're rolling in there, the the taxi drivers knew. Oh, the, it was the toot to toot. I should have done that one. The toot to toot. They would know that. Okay. So so again, if you could see if if Lehi had seen that, he wouldn't have known what he was looking at, but in the latter days, we would look at it, we'd know what we're looking at. That's my way of saying what Lehi saw in his dream had to make sense to him in his world. Otherwise, that he, would, he wouldn't just be looking at something, he would also be missing the symbolism behind it. If he saw a helicopter, he would be confused. Although in the latter days, we'd look at it and know what he was looking at. Well, we're now in reverse. We're looking at what he saw and trying to, and what made sense to him, but wouldn't necessarily immediately make sense to us. Does that make sense? So we've got to be careful when we're looking at the symbolism in the tree of life that it has to make sense to Lehi. And we're trying to interpret what he saw through his eyes without necessarily understanding his world. Okay, make sense? something in the prior verse that you read about Lehi. He said, Laman and Lemuel would not come to him and partake of the fruit. Yeah. And it pairs together the family and the love of God. And I don't know if Laman and Lemuel were just anti-dad or what. <laughs> Hard to know, wasn't it? You can't be anti-family and pro-love of God at the same time. Isn't it? Great point. So to him, I want you to come here because I've found something that is desirous and I want you to partake of it. And sometimes, sometimes we do have kids that rebel against, uh, not so much against the church and the gospel, but they're rebelling against who is teaching them the church and the, and the gospel. So they really are anti-parents, not necessarily, but they, do, they mix the two together. And either way, I'm not showing up. Sometimes people don't come to church because they're anti-bishop, anti-a certain bishop. You know, and so they're going to forfeit all of those things. But in this case, so we get uh, in verse 19, he says, I beheld a rod of iron and it extended along the bank and led to the tree by which we stood. Well, we have seen iron banisters in our world. We get iron. We get that, right? What was, 
What was Lehi looking at? Okay, well, let's just, let's remind ourselves a couple of things of what a rod means in the ancient world. Okay, an ancient rod, because uh, in that sense, who was most likely to wield a rod? Shepherds. Shepherds. But it, would be, it became kings, right? Because for a shepherd, they would carry two things. They would carry uh, a rod and a staff. The staff for gathering, pulling the, you know, lambs out of crags and you know, crevices and stuff like that. And the rod was generally, as we've talked about, a short stick, usually with a gnarled end on it. Uh, sometimes it might have, in later times, they started to put metal ends on it, but oftentimes it was just a, a, gnar, a stick with a gnarled end on it, and it was a weapon to defend. So whoever had the rod would first of all be a defender, so that, that's, one, that's one explanation of what a rod is. The one holding the rod is a defender, defends you. Less about defending themselves, more about defending the weak around them, okay? So that's what a rod would do. So you're saying it's above a stick, right? It's kind of above a stick, yes. <laughs> it, to put it in Texas language, right, right. So they would do that, so that they would, they would have that rod. And then also over time, then if you're going to be a protector, the rod also then became a symbol of what? authority. The, the queen of England has a rod, only they call it a scepter. scepter. It's the same idea of whoever holds the rod, think of Moses, think of Aaron, whoever holds the rod also holds a certain amount of authority, and you follow the one with the rod. Okay? Um, and so when you start looking at rods of iron, it's kind of fascinating that he's looking at something we don't know exactly. We think we know what we're looking at. And it probably looks a bit like a banister that runs along the path. But it's also possible that if we were actually to see what he saw, it might look different. Uh, but it is interesting that when I started doing my research on that, I went to Psalms. You can see up here above this, I, I put this note above uh, verse 19. Psalms 219, uh, if you actually look at Psalms 219, in fact, let me do that. I'm going to hang with me on here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cross-link back over to Psalms 219 in the King James Version. Okay? Two, yeah, I know. I'm looking at 2.9 and I'm saying what? <laughs> yeah, I know what I meant. Okay. Um, okay. Okay, so I'm going to go to Psalms 2, 2, 9. There's Psalms 2, 9 in the King James. I'm going to bring it down here. Okay. In, in Psalm, in the King James Version, and I should have put that in. I'll tell you what, I'm going to do that. We'll put that in yellow. There you go. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Ooh. And so you get this idea of defending and beating off people who would, who would uh, attack and, um, and all of that. Okay? Now, 
But what I did is I also look at it, if you go to Bible Hub, Bible Hub will show you all these different versions of Bibles that have been written. And, and I was fascinated, I'm gonna now go back to first, to Nephi, okay? So we're now back at first Nephi eight. And look what it, look what it comes out in Aramaic. So I got Psalms two, nine in Aramaic. I have set my king on Zion, on the mountain of my holiness. You shall shepherd them with a scepter of iron. Mm. Okay, you get a sense that somehow to a, to a uh, Lehi, who is often a Bedouin, so he's traveling in there and he would have a rod, and we think that's probably what he gave to Laman and Lemuel, was a rod that he, Laman and Lemuel were probably beating their brothers with a symbol of authority, uh, Lehi, dad's rod, <laughs> you know, listen to us, okay? In this case, uh, he would have been seen, a rod would have meant something to him, and he calls it a rod, uh, that he might have seen it as something that would shepherd the people along the path. How that worked, I don't know. Maybe there was an angel standing with a rod or something, okay? Um, so, so a rod means two things. One, it means it's a protector, and a rod is also a symbol of authority. Um, by the way, there was also another purpose for the rod, and I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, that I thought is kind of interesting. Uh, they used the rod as a, a method of counting. They would stand at the mouth of, of the, the uh, uh, wherever they were gonna hold the sheep, and you're gonna put them in the fold, and they would hold the rod over the entrance. And then as the sheep would pass underneath the rod, they would count. And, and there's different places in Psalms that talks about using the rod, Leviticus talks about using the rod to assess tithing. You're gonna run the people underneath the rod and count. Okay, kind of interesting. Now, in this case, look at what Lehi has done here. And it's really subtle. This rod has a different purpose. Is it about authority? Sort of. Is it about protection? We know from Nephi, Nephi is going to tell us in his interpretation, both when he talks about it in his dream and also when he's explaining to the boys, the, the iron rod is the... Doesn't that tell you something about what the Word of God is? If you think about what an iron rod is, the purpose of, is it to act as a protector, to defend us? Does the iron rod act as authority? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. Follow it. Guide it. It will protect you. But in this case, he's added a third one that really you don't find in the Old Testament. In this case, what is the purpose of this iron rod word of God? Shepherd. It's shepherd is where? To the tree of life. To the tree of life, which is really? The word of God. Word of God, which is really what? What's, what's the tree of life really? The love of God. It's Christ, right? Yeah. It's, it's Christ. So the purpose in this case is not, if you'll, you'll get the protection, you'll get the authority, but also it's now being used as a director, as a signpost to Christ. Follow the iron rod to Christ. Bring on. 
Yeah, yeah, I was, it, it's, it's funny, I was listening this morning um, to uh, one of the scholars I really loved, Harold Givens. He was talking about the fact that he finds it really odd that sometimes, and, and it's partly our fault, that people talk about leaving the church. I'm going to, I'm leaving the church. Well, the, the church is not the purpose. <laughs> the church is the iron rod leading us to Christ. It, it very, very, we don't have people say, you know what, I, um, that bishop is driving me crazy. I think I'm going to have my records removed. I'm leaving Christ. We talk about leaving the institution, leaving the, the organization, as opposed to saying, because sometimes, and again, it's our fault, we got to believe in the church. Not really. What are we believing in? Christ. The church is the signpost. The church is the iron rod. The church, church's purpose is to lead us and guide us and direct us to Christ. And sometimes we get so caught up in the institution that we forget what the institution is pointing at. Now, hold on to that idea because we're about to talk about that in a bunch, right? Okay? Does that make sense? Mike, you had an analogy that we were talking about leaving the church uh, about. We have a computer. We have a computer. And you don't believe in IBM anymore because you had it falling out, so now you don't believe in computers? Yes. That yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I hate IBM, so I no longer believe in computers. <laughs> it's, it's kind of that same thing. Good idea. <laughs> I heard that the president of IBM embezzled a bunch of funds is making too much money, so I no longer going to believe in computers. You know, we're, we're getting caught up in the organization rather than what it's supposed to be doing for us, okay? So hold on to that idea, okay? Because we're about to see it. Well, a lot of people leave the church and they go in a different direction, but they still think they're going to Christ. You know, it's, it's actually, although, do you know what? Most of the time, if you talk to people, the statistics that I see, so many that leave the church do leave God. They're like, I'm, I'm now agnostic. I don't believe in, it isn't like, it isn't like we are bleeding members to the Catholic Church. Yeah. It isn't like we're bleeding members to baptism, to, to, to be Baptist or Methodist. Some do. There's a small group. But most of them just leave organized religion and God altogether. And they've allowed, I got angry at this organization, so I no longer believe in the resurrection. Because I'm not sure God's even there. Because my bishop was horrible. You know, okay, we get caught up in that. Yeah. I think it's interesting they may leave the church, but they can't leave the church alone. Yeah. They're constantly Because it's there, it's still part of them, right. Okay, so now watch, watch what happens. Because uh, an elder Bednar pointed this out. And, and I think this is, this is fascinating here, where he's going to say, as he's looking at this, um, he's looking at this rod of iron. And we're going to see two major groups here. Well, actually, there are about four groups, but I want to focus on two of them, because I think they're really in contrast to each other. Uh, verse 24. It came to pass that I beheld others pressing forward, and they came forth and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron. That's why we get a sense that it probably was horizontal in some way. They're grabbing this end and they're following it. 
Um, they came forth, they caught hold of the end of the iron rod and they did press forward through the mist of darkness, clinging to the rod of iron, even as they came forth to partake of the fruit of the tree. And after they had partaken of the fruit of the tree, they cast their eyes about as if they were ashamed. Now, I think that's interesting. So, so, let, me, so, so let me put them together and then, then we can talk about this. Okay? So here's this group, and I call them the clingers. <laughs> if you ever watch MASH, this is not that clinger. It's corporal clinger. <laughs> Okay, so, so, and we know that they're looking up at uh, the great and spacious building, but this group, first of all, is the clingers. They're clinging to the rod of iron, and then they get to the fruit, and then we get this little bit in verse 28. And after they had tasted of the fruit, they were ashamed. And I wonder if there's a difference between partaking and tasting. Okay of the fruit and they were ashamed because of those that were scoffing at them and they then fall away into forbidden paths and are lost. Okay. Now this is opposed to the holders, the second group. But to be short in writing, behold, he saw other multitudes pressing forward and they came and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron, same as the first group. They pressed their way forward, same as the continually now the word changes. Instead of clinging, he describes it as what? Holding fast to the rod of iron until they came forth and then they do something interesting. They do what? They fall down and partook of the fruit of the tree. Okay, so we have up here we've got the, the clingers and they are clinging and they taste, 28. And then we've got this second group that holds fast and they fall down. And, and so, and we've talked, about, we've talked about this a few years ago. How would you, if you fall down at the, at the tree, how do you partake of the fruit? Well, some might, it might be on the, the ground, but I just don't see the fruit of the tree of life becoming overly ripe and landing on the ground. That's not the image that you get. How can you fall down at the tree and actually partake of the fruit? You, you're on your knees, but the tree... There it is. They do what? Absolutely. More than likely, you, it's not stated, but more than likely somebody's given it to them. Okay, maybe Lehi, yeah. Well, I was going to say, it, it looks to me like they recognize the Savior. And I think that's a natural reaction when you recognize I think so too. And so that you get a sense of that awe, and, and when you talk about people that fall at the feet of something, that imagery is there for the Savior. And in fact, we're going to see that in Nephi's dream in, a lot when they fall at the feet of the Savior, the same term, okay? So for the, so for the clingers, they, they follow, they taste, the holders come, fall at the feet, and they partake. Okay. Now, tell me the difference between the two. How can you, how can you follow the rod of iron, get to the tree, and then immediately fall away? Yeah. So that's a mechanical process that includes 
does not necessarily include an individual's love for God in the process. Because the ones that come and taste of the fruit, they're just wanting to feel the love of God without having to love Him themselves. And Maybe. The come and they love God and they feel His love and that love is perfected. Ah, okay, yeah. How do, how do you, I, I love that, yeah. The second group, I think, had a testimony. They wanted to hold on to that rock. Right. They were hold, really holding on to it. And they, 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 when they got there, they, they understood why they were there because they, they knelt down. They understand what, what this was all about. I think the first group was probably clinging because maybe they had to. They didn't feel they had any choice at the time. And they really, really didn't have a testimony to start out the let, let, let me put it in different terms. Why do we cling to anything? Out of fear. Out of fear. <coughs> Does that make sense? More than likely, I would look at it and say, clingers are cling holding on tightly to something. You ever been in a high place or something like that and you're clinging tightly to something, you're afraid you're going to fall? You cling out of a sense of fear. How can we follow the Word of God out of a sense of fear and cling? Okay? Alright. I've got a whole different spin in my head on this. That, that wouldn't be unusual, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying this is something new? <laughs> Leaving space for grace. And just like all of us are doing all we can, but despite all we can do, we still need grace. Right. But is grace is grace in that word, is it in the rod or is it in the tree? I think it's in that tree and that we can only go so far ourselves no matter how hard we're trying, no matter how much we cling out of whatever reason and motivation. Right. There's still a gap. Sure. Our ability and what we need. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A anybody ever hike Angel's Landing in, in Zion's? Okay. Okay. All the way to the end? All right. So when you hike Angel's Landing and you get up and you're 1,200 feet <laughs> down this way and you're, and you're 800 feet down this way and the path is smaller than this pathway here in the chapel. Okay. What are you clinging to? You're a missionary. <laughs> no, they're nice enough to provide something. They actually provide an iron railing, don't they? Oh, yes. Oh, believe me, it's 800. No, 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 no. It's down the middle. You have to picture, I'm standing here in the middle of the aisle here, 800 feet straight down this way, 1,200 feet down here. The cars are small, and you have a single iron rod right down the middle and it's one rod and guess what you're looking at the rod, yeah, the rod. <laughs> you're just following along you, you know and, and, and oftentimes the last time I was doing that I'm, I'm walking across there and I've done it before and it's still a little nervous and there's a guy from England coming the other direction and he goes I'm just walking I'm just walking I'm just <laughs> And we're clinging tightly. And in front of us is the most incredible vista into Zion's Canyon. You just can't believe it. But you don't see it because you're focused on. Right, Carol? Yeah, yeah. And just because you're so fearful. OK? 
Okay. It's like somebody took a picture and you don't have to go up there. <laughs> yeah. People have, I, people have taken pictures of that and it, it's, it's, it's quite an experience. Yeah. Which is a step up, right? Yeah, there's a reward, and so we want That's right, reward. that's right. And a fear that we're not going to get our, that reward. And, but then the third reason is because we love God. Yeah, that's right. And that's what we're working for. So these people were fearful or wanted a reward, but they really didn't have Yeah, because if I'm fearful, now... now what does the what does the great and spacious building over here represent to me? Acceptance. Acceptance. So I'm I'm not sure I'm doing this right, or that, but that looks better. So I'm I'm more light. I'm going to be drawn kind of to this this direction. Yeah, yeah. I uh, wonder, you know, clinging to the rod was another emotion, like the desire to be with the word of God, more than a fear of life. Could be. Yeah, you just get a sense, because something, those that are clinging for whatever reason, it's not centered in the tree. In fact, in fact, what do they do with the fruit? They taste it. They taste it. As a, and it says partake the first time, but then he, he clarifies it a little bit to say, and after they had tasted, you get a sense that it's kind of not, not, um, it's pretty shallow. I'm just going to taste a little bit of it. Yeah? It almost seems like taste is kind of a test. They test it. They don't really... Oh, that's good. They taste it. People are going to come and kind of put their toe in the pool, so to speak, and see how, how much it is. Yeah. That, that yeah. Kind of like, I was just thinking about when... Uh, we will go to the kingdom that we will feel comfortable in. Yeah. These people weren't comfortable. They weren't. They were going to be more comfortable over here because that looked that looked better, and they couldn't handle. Because uh, by the way, you know, Nephi is going to say those of us who partook and fell, they heated. Uh, they what does it say? They heated them not. Oh yeah, um, thirty four. These are the words of my father, for as many as heeded the words coming out of the great and spacious building, um, they, they fell away. And then he's going to say that we didn't heed. Is that where it is? We heeded them not? Here it is, the bottom of verse 33. And we heeded them not. So it's almost like, yeah, they're there, but we're just, it doesn't bother us. Because what's our focus on? Christ. I think you can also think about it the way two people go to church on Sunday. And then you talk to the same two people afterwards. How was church today? Yeah. And some people will say, well, it was wonderful. I felt the spirit. I enjoyed the talks. Uh, that had some interesting points in the discussion, whether it was Sunday school, Relief Society, priesthood, or whatever. Got to see so-and-so, and they were there. And basically, it's a positive experience. And then the other person will have all those talks were boring, uh, they ran over, yeah. so-and-so didn't speak to me, uh, blah, blah, blah. 
and it's and it was just nothing happened. Any different. It's a completely different experience, isn't it? So I think that's what it, it has to do with your attitude before you start. It makes a difference. Yeah. I see it as stages in my life that I started out, you know, spare the rods. Yeah. Out of fear, and then gradually now I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but but it is interesting how often when I've when I've worked with people that um, are struggling with the church now, or they struggle with the concept of God, it is interesting. And sometimes they've grown up in the church that the church was was a rod to beat them with, you know, that it was harsh and it was rigid and 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 if and to be quite honest, again. And I, I talk about this. I grew up in those obedience seventies and eighties. Man, it was about obedience, dang it, and and you know you're going to fry it. And sometimes it points to the Book of Mormon. The commandments sound like they're pretty harsh. You're going to you're going to fry if you don't do this right now. And 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 it and somehow this gospel of love becomes a gospel of fear to to beat people. With and so first chance people get, they they leave. They're they're leaving that fearful side of things, as opposed to this is a place to love and be loved and find a loving being waiting for you that loves you. I just when you were talking about that, it just made me think of the Puritans. I, I kind of grew up in the same thing. The, the Puritan philosophy yeah. has come down through the ages. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, though, you know, those that uh, have, you know, one of the traditions of Calvinism as it came down that John Calvin and then they had this in that Puritan kind of thing, it became very harsh and punishing. And that's where you get dear, uh, dear Jonathan Edwards, the preacher and he his great uh, sinners in the in the hands of an angry God, <laughs> yeah, and 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 you, O oh man, are like a spider over a flame, and God, at His own good pleasure, will either drop you into the flame or cast you out. You know, because you you miserable bug, you don't deserve anything. You know, and uh, because you're a horrible wretch, and that that tradition of mankind as fallen and awful and horrible and and God is so removed and he we ought to just be grateful he doesn't wipe us all out. That's exactly like the Greeks saw Zeus. Yeah. He would, he would do things to you at his pleasure. Yeah, a lot of the, the stuff coming from some of the reformers had some of their roots in some of that Roman mythology kind of thing, which yeah. it's talking for another time. But anyway, all right, so that said, um, I think I'm going to, I was going to spend a little bit of time on the uh, great and spacious building, uh, which, by the way, uh, Hugh Nibley saw the great and spacious building as, as the temple at the time. He called it a temple gone dark, that the great and spacious building was a temple gone dark, that those in the fine twine linen were the, were the temple, were the Levites and stuff in, 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 in Lehi's time, okay? Uh, and I find it in, there is a moment in time though where that actually literally what we're talking about sort of comes true. And that is if you look at, if you look at models of, um, in fact I think I did it, hold on here.
It's the PowerPoint I was going to use. Okay. Uh, kind of interesting. I mean, these are, these are some of the buildings in Petra. Uh, and oftentimes, even though the entrance is down there at the bottom, uh, some of the other people were going to be higher up because it was safer. So it, at night, at dark, the light would be up on top. The bottom part would be dark. And in the desert, these buildings would look like they were floating in, in, in the air. Okay? Um, but, but it's this one. Um, this is... This is the temple of, of uh, Herod at the time of Jesus. Uh, and so up here on the Temple Mount, you have the temple in the middle, the porch of Solomon and all that. The Wailing Wall is just on the other side of this and down. Okay. But I want you to notice, anybody know what this structure is right here on the upper right-hand corner up here? Yeah, it's for, it was built for the Romans. It is the Antonia Fortress, okay? Which, by the way, has no base. Uh, there's no windows down here, but they're up here. So they would be lit. This, this would have been, uh, and this wouldn't have been something Lehi would have seen. But it is interesting that, because this temple would be rebuilt. This was destroyed and then rebuilt. So this is Herod's temple. But it, it is interesting that the Antonio Fortress was built in such a way so that the soldiers and the centurions could actually look down on the people going, going to the temple. And they could scoff and yell and make fun of from up here, which they did, looking down in here. So in a sense, you almost had like this great and spacious building overlooking the temple, uh, and that, which I just find kind of interesting, okay? Is it what Lehi saw? No, but I thought it was interesting, so thought I would share that. You know, the idea of the brightest face going up says it was in the air. Yeah. It makes you think this is some intellectual thing, you know, it's airy, it's not... It's, up, well, it's, not, it's not well grounded. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think the symbolism of the great and spacious building floating is that it's not really attached and all that. But I also think there, for, in Lehi's, Lehi would have seen things like that that suggested the symbolism to him on this. Okay, so now here's the interesting thing. After, after Dad's, so we have two versions of this, right? We've got Lehi's dream, and then we've got Nephi's vision. Now, in the transition between Lehi's dream in 1 Nephi and Le, uh, Lehi's dream and Nephi's vision, Nephi's going to set his dream up to say, you can learn some things here. And I'm going to, and I'm going to tell you how this works. So if we go over here to 1 Nephi 10. Oh, I was going to point this out too. Uh, there's gosh, so much here. This is in 1 Nephi 10. And somehow, as part of this whole process, Lehi is learning a lot that we don't have necessarily in what Nephi chose to include in the small plates. 
But, but he's going to give you a fast synopsis about what Lehi was teaching about, and it goes far beyond what we find in 1 Nephi 8. There's just so much more here, including, he's going to say, look at the specifics here. Um, verse 3, uh, Jerusalem should be destroyed. It'll be carried away captive right about the time they were leaving. Four, 600 years from that time, a prophet would the Lord raise up, and the Jews, a Messiah. He doesn't yet have his name yet. Lehi never has his name that we know of. Uh, there's going to be a Messiah. Uh, five, and he spoke concerning the prophets, how many had testified to this Messiah. And then look at, at six. And this is coming from a man in the, in, uh, here in the 6th century B.C. And he's going to say, Wherefore all mankind were in a lost and a fallen state and ever would be, save they should rely on this Redeemer. Now, when we go back and we think about what the Deuteronomists were telling Laman and Lemuel and the Jews at the time, you know, and times of visions were done, and salvation for those Deuteronomists and those Jews, how do you become saved if you're a Jew in 600 BC? What does salvation look like to you? What do you cling to? The law of Moses. Cling to that, to every little iota and every jot in the law of Moses. That's how, does salvation come through the law? Think about what Paul would preach. Does salvation come through the law? And they would say, yes. Salvation is about following the law of Moses. Spiritually, and also if we keep the law of Moses, armies can't conquer us. So we're going to cling out of fear. Hurry and stone them. They're, they're blaspheming against the law. We're going to cling to the law. That's the word of God to them. We're not going to listen to any other prophets or anything else. It's about the law. And don't dare go outside of that. Well, that makes sense in light of them being captives in Egypt for, you know, all of that period and everything. And Yeah. Well, and see, they're going back to like King uh, Hezekiah yeah. and all that that says, hey, if we cling to the law, he sends angels and they wipe out armies. Okay, so we're going to be saved, but uh, don't, don't break the law. So they were clinging out of fear. Okay, the word of God to them was the Hebrew, Hebrew Bible and what scrolls they had to obey. But listen to what Lehi is saying. And he's casting that whole belief system out. The whole thing. And he's saying to Laman and Lemuel, all mankind were in a lost and fallen state and ever would be, save they should rely on this Redeemer. <laughs> wow. That is just, dump the whole thing, right? Isn't that great? Okay. And then he's going to spend... Uh, some time talking about John the Baptist, which I think is interesting. Okay, so here, here we go. Verse 17 of 1 Nephi 10. Nephi is about to set up his dream or his vision. And he's going to say, It came to pass that I, Nephi, had heard all the words of my father, and which he had seen in his vision, and all the things he'd spoke by the power of the Holy Ghost. Uh, now, he's about, Nephi's going to give us a. Uh, a pattern for how to learn the mysteries. Now, again, for, for a child of the obedient 70s and 80s, 
what I heard growing up was, don't mess with the mysteries. Doesn't matter whether the pearly gates swing right to left or up and down, you know, just trust the prophet, just obey the commandments. Everything outside of that is not important to your salvation. And we taught that line to our kids and our grandkids. It's not important to your salvation. And we kept preaching that and preaching that until they ran right into the internet. <laughs> How many wives did Joseph have? It's not important to your testimony, to your salvation. Did he, how did he translate? Don't worry about it, it's not important to your salvation. Have you got something to hide? No, it's just obedience. We're just, you, know, just, you know, without saying, Let, let's dig, let's get some answers. Because this gospel can handle deep digging. It, 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 it handles the scrutiny if we're focused on Christ. Sometimes our institution has had some hiccups. <laughs> and I say that lightly. <laughs> there have been hiccups. But when we focus on Christ, then we understand the, the mistakes of the institution in the light of that people trying to do the best they knew how to do. But, but Nephi's going to give us a way to understand the, the deeper import of the gospel. Go ahead and dig, but follow his guidance because he's going to give you... Because he, he heard his dad preach a bunch of stuff and he's going to respond to that. Now, Laman and Lemuel are going to go, well, I don't think God gives that to us. In fact, we're not supposed to because we're Deuteronomus and Josiah said, don't do that. Okay, but for Nephi, he's, he's about to give it. He's going to give you the formula. He's going to give it to you again in 1 Nephi 11. And then he's going to demonstrate it. You're going to see this formula about three times. So let, let, watch real closely what it says. Okay, here's our first one. I, Nephi, was, here's the first word, desirous that I might, and I, I, I thought about taking a long time on this, I won't, but you, know, you might want to think about this one. I was desirous that I might see and hear and know. This formula that he's going to give you will enable you to see and hear and know. And sometimes we're in the seeing and hearing, but we don't necessarily know it yet. But we're going to see and hear and know. Okay, By the power of the Holy Ghost, then he's going to say, oh, the Holy Ghost. Let me, tell, but let me tell you about this. The Holy Ghost is what? It is the gift of God unto all those who diligently seek Him. When? As in times of old. This is the way the ancient prophets did it as in the time that he should manifest himself unto the children of men. So when he comes, the Holy Ghost will be the one they're going to see and hear, but they'll know by the power of the Holy Ghost. People heard and saw Jesus, but didn't necessarily know he was the Christ. You're going to see and hear and know. And then he's going to say, for he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then he's going to say, oh, by the way, he that diligently seeketh, so he's going to desire, then he's going to seek the mysteries of God. It'll be unfolded then by, oh, in case you didn't get it the first time, let me tell you again. 
by the power of the Holy Ghost, as well in these times now, as in times of old. What about you guys in the future? Oh, well, as well in times of old to come. <laughs> oh, all right. As well as in times of old, as in times to come. Wherefore, the course of God, uh, the Lord, is one eternal round. Everybody gets knowledge the same way. You will see and hear and know by this formula. Okay? All right. So let, and remember, O oh man, for all thy doing shall thou be brought into justice. You know, okay, now. So, here comes, here comes chapter 11. Here comes the formula. This is Nephi's knowledge formula. And it's going to be desire, and then believe, and then ponder. And then 3rd Nephi, or Alma 32 is going to add additional pieces to it. But this is the first part. So I put these in purple here. For it came to pass that after I had desired to know the things my father had saw, and the next part, it's important that you believe. So, so first of all, you think about what you desire. Those people that are clinging to the rod, what were they clinging to? They had a desire just simply not to get lost. <laughs> They were just clinging on to it. The others had a desire to get to the tree, I think. And, the, okay, so, after I desired to know the things my father saw, and believing that the Lord was able to make them known unto me, you got to believe it. Faith is a choice. I'm going to choose to believe that the Lord can make it known unto me. And then what's he going to do? Here's step three. Desire, believe, and then what? Ponder. In section 138, when we have Joseph F. Smith, and he, and he has the vision of the redemption of the dead, he, he starts off by saying, I was doing what? I sat one day as I was pondering. I was thinking about, I wanted to know, did Christ go in person to those uh, the, in the spirit prison? I wanted to know. I believed it could happen, so I sat pondering on it. And then the visions were opened up. And, and Nephi's going to give us the same thing. Okay, so believe, pondering in my heart. Okay, all at once he's caught up in the Spirit of the Lord uh, and to an exceedingly high mountain. He'd never been there before. Um, so then, so then, so he's telling you, so here's the pattern. First you've got to desire, then you've got to believe. Then you got to ponder. Okay? Now, let me show you. He says, let me show you how that works. And let me show you how it worked for me. To, so I got to see what, what uh, my father saw. Verse 2. And the Spirit said unto me, Behold, what? Desire. Ding. There's one. <laughs> so you're going to desire. Okay? And I said, what do I desire? I desire to behold the things my father saw. That's, yes, that's why I'm pondering here. And then the Spirit's going to check the box. Okay? The Spirit then said what? Believe. Believe us that. Do you believe? Because no, it could happen. Wow. Okay. I want it. There's a lot of things that we want. I, I, I would really like to be more wealthy than I am. <laughs> do I really desire that? Oh, sort of. 
Am I, do I believe I can get it? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Good question. Okay. All right. I'm, so, do you believest thou that thy father saw the tree which he has spoken? And he said, I, thou knowest that I believe all the words of my father. And that brings forth this, this rush of Hosanna, Hosanna from the angel. Hosanna to the Lord most high for he's over the earth. So he waxes eloquent because thou has believed in what? Wait a minute. He said, I believe, believest thou thy father saw the tree. Yep. And then angels can say, I'm grateful because believest thou in what? The son of the most high. Oh, to believe in the tree is to believe in the son. Right? Yeah. Isn't that cool? But he still has to affirm, I believe the things of my father's eye. You know I believe them. And then the interviewer says, good job, buddy. Come on in. That's right. Thou knowest that I do, right? I, I do it. In other words, it's so obvious and so apparent that he says, I know. Therefore, thou shalt behold the things which thou hast seen. Uh, and then, now, one, uh, now, before we even start with the thing, I want you to notice this, and sometimes I think we miss this. That's why this has to be so centered on Christ. Behold this thing, verse 7, this thing shall be given unto thee for a sign, for after thou hast beheld the tree which thy, the, the fruit which thy father tasted, thou shalt behold a man descending out of heaven. And, and him shall ye witness, and after ye witness, you'll bear record of the Son of God. Okay? Now, that we're going to then get, what happens next is, is the, the Spirit is going to weave the history of the Savior, the history of the Gentiles, all the way to the end with the, with the Tree of Life vision. It's a, it's a very complex weaving of the history of the world. But he's going to start off by, do you see the, and we'll, and we'll, we're going to start on this next time, talking about, um, you see the virgin, you see Nazareth, you see Jerusalem, and we're going to show, see all of the events of the Savior's life played out. But what moment is he describing here when he says, after I show you the sign, thou shalt behold a man and, you, and you, it's the son of God you're going to behold the son of man descending out of heaven where does that happen in the New Testament what moment is he describing does it ever happen does that moment ever happen in the New does it happen in the gospels no does it happen in the writings of Paul no where do we get the, what is he seeing? The birth of Christ. Not the birth of Christ. Okay, say it again. He came to the knee. Yes. What is he describing? 
3 Nephi 11. That is what he's watching. There is a moment in history where the Son of God is descending out of heaven and coming down to the people, and it's not in the Bible. It's in the Book of Mormon. He's watching that Savior speaking to who? His descendants. Yes. That's why this has personal meaning. That, that 600 years from now, I'm watching him to come to my people, to my children. Isn't that cool? And before you see anything else, you're going to see this man. You saw him. You bear witness of it. Let me give you the backstory that will lead to that moment when he finally comes to fulfill your father's wish of the gospel coming especially to Laman and Lemuel's children. Yeah. So that's why I think this clearly qualifies as a patriarchal blessing. Yeah. To Nephi. That he gets directly from the Lord rather than from his father. Yeah. Yeah, it does. This is, this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to give you that vision, but it's going to be specifically the vision that encompasses not just his work among the Jews and not just his work among the Gentiles, but specifically, I'm going to show you that moment when he finally fulfills the promise to come to your children. That makes it really, really personal, I think. Okay? Carolyn? I was just thinking uh, when we talk about different groups of people that took up the Lehi's dream, that here it talks about how his father tasted it, but then they received a witness of God. And those people actually stay there and have that witness. Yeah, and I'm gonna bear witness. Once I have that witness of God, my job is to then bear to others. Okay? Okay, so in, in the in the time that we have remaining, let, let me finish and then again we're gonna jump into all the stuff uh, about that later. I just if you have fear, if that's why you taste it, then you're not gonna be open to the Holy Ghost. No, you're not gonna be listening to the Holy Ghost. In other words, I always tell people when we're dealing with anxiety, I always said, your problem is above your shoulders. <laughs> That's our problem. <laughs> you're listening to your head rather than to your heart. Fear's between the ears and, and what you think and how you see things. But when I can get people to calm and get centered, then they start to hear the Holy Ghost talking to him. Holy Ghost doesn't live generally between your ears, yeah. I have a question if that was really a mountain or is it symbolic to a place we find ourselves? Yeah, that's a good question. Was it really a mountain? Might have been to him, but, but it is actually more symbolic that we go to temples like, we go to mountains and temples to receive revelation and guidance and you're going to be taken up away from like Mount Sinai. And, but yeah, symbolic, I think. Okay, so let's finish this. Uh, so, I, but I want to finish the. So here's the, here's the. I'm back at verse one. Here's Nephi's knowledge formula. You got to desire. Then you got to believe. Then you got to ponder. Now, watch how this gets beautifully. If you want to get answers, watch how this beautifully gets completed by. Um, up here. Hold on here. I'll go back up here. So I've hopped over to Alma 32. 
And I'm going to... 27. And behold, if you really want to know some things, remember these are the Zoramites going, hey, we can't get in the building. And we build it, they're kicking us out. Now what do we do? We can't worship. And, uh, and he goes, wait a minute. If you will awake and arouse your faculties, even to an experiment and exercise a particle of faith, even if you can do no more than what? Desire. Desi start with the desire. You see why uh, Joseph F. Smith talked extensively about the education of our desires. What is it you really want? What is wanted? And here we go. I'm going to tell you what I desire. Okay? Exercise a particle of faith, even more desire to believe. Let this desire work in you, then what? Now, if you're going to do that, verse 28, then we're going to compare that word, if you desire, unto a seed. So, so if you desire, now I'm going to, sometimes it'll be a vision, but sometimes you have to know things. So I'm going to, the Lord, the Spirit plants a seed in us. And then, following the thing, now, if you give place that a seed may be planted in your heart, if it's a true seed, if you do not cast it out by your unbelief, desire, and then believe. And if you believe, then you don't cast the seed out. I'm going to believe. So I'm going to leave it there. Why? Because you ever had a seed that you planted and you didn't know what exactly what it went to, what, what, what kind of seed it was? <laughs> you know, are you wondering what would the plant look like? You know, uh, Cindy and I in our uh, in our bedroom, I've got one of these uh, arrow garden things, and it's up on top of our dresser. And right now, it's full of peppers. We got like peppers hanging from this plant, and tomatoes in the bedroom. In the bedroom. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. It's the whole thing probably stands no more than about that tall. Okay, uh, but they're hydroponic, and so you just get these little things and you drop them in the hydroponic water and then you start to watch it and then we're like, okay, it looks like a bud. What is it? I don't know. <laughs> you know, what kind of tomato is this? I don't know. We're watching it. Is it yellow? Is it red? We don't know. You know, what kind of pepper is this? And so every morning, every night we're looking at this thing and up it comes. Oh, that looks like it. Okay. And our jalapenos started coming up. They were green. We didn't know if they should be red. You know, we're just having to the only way that we have known, and turned out they were red and they're really good, and I can chop them and throw them in eggs and stuff like that, right? But the only way that I knew what kind of seed it was was to do what? Wait. <laughs> That's why Joseph F. Smith says, uh, the education of your, your desires is of utmost importance, and it's, it's like uh, seed time and harvest time. And, and nature allows requires us to wait. And he's going to say, all right, look, you desired, you believed. Now, if you don't cast it out with unbelief that you resist the spirit, now look at halfway through verse 28, behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts. And when you feel these swelling motions, you'll begin to say within yourself, hey, it must needs be, this is a good seed. These things are growing. I can't believe it. I tried to kill it, but it's growing. That's awesome. Hey? I've, I've got a little blackberry plant out in our, underneath our window, and I don't know whether it's going to grow or not. It's still green, but my son says it'll grow, but I'm not sure. How do I know? Well, <laughs> I'm having to wait. Uh, and the cat was trying to piddle on it yesterday. But anyway, 
Uh, it must needs be that it's a good seed or the word is good. It beginneth. Now it does something interesting. As it starts to, I feel it. Now it starts to do what? As it grows. Oh, it beginneth to enlarge my soul. It beginneth to enlighten. Now our head gets to get involved. It begins to enlighten my understanding. Wow. It beginneth to be delicious to me. You think Alma had in front of him Lehi's dream? Oh, yeah. It beginneth to be delicious to me. By the way, this particular seed that he's talking about, when the, when the full plant is grown, the, this seed, what does it grow into? Oh, yeah. Okay. 37, and behold, the tree beginneth to grow. So let's nourish it that it may get root. Don't neglect it. You do all of this. Um, and if you, um, if it's not growing, it's because your ground is barren. And, uh, and, but verse 4, if you will nourish the word, nourish the tree as it beginning to grow by your faith with great diligence and patience, looking forward to the fruit thereof. Oh, it's jalapenos. Uh, it, it shall take root and it shall be a tree springing up into everlasting life. Um, and then, and then 42, ye shall pluck the fruit thereof, which is most precious, which is most sweet, and white above all that is white, pure above all that is pure. This is, he's got, he's got Lehi's dream in front of him. I'm still 35. This is, this is real. Oh yeah, 35? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, then is this not real? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right? In other words, you're gonna, you will see and hear and no, you'll know that it's real. These days, those that are like struggling with this kind of stuff will say, well, emotion, you see, is just nerve synapses in the brain. And so a testimony is nothing more than nerve synapses in your brain. So you really don't know. Okay. That's because it's not in the brain. <laughs> and it's not emotions. You're feeling something that is real. I think that, that's why that, that's an important kind of thing. Okay. All right. That plenty for today? Heads full? Okay, yeah. I just want to go back and touch on one point. Yeah. He talks about how this testimony of the Spirit of the Holy Ghost is the gift to all who seek God. Yeah. And I think sometimes we get hung up on the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost being our constant companion. And sometimes we mistakenly allow ourselves to think that non members of the church can't feel the Holy Ghost unless we act as a conduit. And that is absolute baloney. Yes, it is. It is. If they seek God, they're entitled to the gift of They are. If they have a desire to find Jesus, they have a desire to do the right things, and that seed is planted in them, we're not the only... We don't, we don't have the monopoly on the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. <laughs> amen. Can I have an amen? <laughs> okay. Um, well, thank you. The, a lot here to, to kind of digest, but I need you to see that there is a grand pattern that emerges here because what Nephi is really trying to say is, you can know what I knew. I knew what my father knew. You can know what I know. 
And Joseph Smith said, there's nothing that's given to the prophets that shouldn't be available to every member of the church if they will just try. Just hang in there, okay? Bury my witness, church is true. Uh, and uh, I leave that with you in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>